imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women? Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lead Hership Global. We're so glad to have you with us today. And we're going to be diving into a subject that I think is just absolutely fascinating, sustainability. And we have an expert to lead us through this conversation, Stephanie Stahl, the CEO and co-founder of Ace of Air. And I just can't wait to dive in and really unpack the complicated and yet really necessary a discussion around sustainability. You know, today's executives are dealing with a complex and unprecedented combination of social, environmental, market, and technological trends. Yet executives are often reluctant to place sustainability at the core of their company's business strategy in the mistaken belief that the costs actually outweighed the benefits. But on the contrary, academic research and business experience both point to quite the opposite. Executives can no longer afford to approach sustainability as a nice-to-have or as a function separated from their real business. But before we dive in, let's first define sustainability. Sustainability is the business practice of ensuring economically viable, socially responsible, and environmentally friendly business practices. And we know that consumers are shifting purchase decisions to those brands with integrity, social responsibility, and sustainability at their core. In fact, Unilever claims that its brands with purpose are actually growing at twice the rate of the other brands in their portfolio, which is pretty remarkable. Those companies that commit to sustainable business practices can actually create a significantly positive impact on consumers' evaluation of their company, which often translates into purchase intent. In fact, today's consumers we know expect a lot more transparency, honesty, and tangible positive social impact from the companies that they choose to buy their products and services from. In fact, one study found that environmental and socially responsibility, social responsibility was the only significant factor that affected their evaluation of a firm and their intent to buy. Those companies that proactively make sustainability core to their business strategy, those are the companies that will drive innovation and engender enthusiasm and loyalty from employees, customers, suppliers, communities, and investors. And that's why today's conversation is so important. Let me tell you a little bit about Stephanie. Stephanie is the CEO and co-founder of Ace of Air, a circular beauty and wellness business launching in 2021. She's an active director on two public company boards, an angel investor, and a board member on the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation Board. She's a successful executive with an impressive track record of success. 
As the CEO of Ace of Air, Stephanie is leading the development and launch of this zero-waste DTC skincare and nutritional supplements brand. In addition, Stephanie serves on the boards of Dollar Tree, Null Inc., and Chopped Creative Salad Company. Stephanie is also an angel investor and new venture advisor through her company, Studio Pegasus LLC, and she serves as a senior advisor to the Boston Consulting Group. Prior to her role at Ace of Air, Stephanie served as the global marketing and strategy officer for Coach, um, and she was also the strategy officer for both Coach Inc. and Revlon Inc., and served as a CEO and partner of Tracy Anderson Mind and Body, a fitness company focused on delivering tailored programs for its clients around the world. What an amazing resume and such awesome industries to be a part of. Welcome, Stephanie. We're so excited to have you. Thank you, Linda, and thank you, Christina. So delighted to be part of this podcast and to be part of the leadership family. So not everybody wakes up just like, I'm going to start a business that's, you know, that marries beauty and sustainability together. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how, you know, you really created a passion for beauty and then really why it was important to you to have this zero waste, totally sustainable company. Like walk us through that. Happy to. So about three years ago, I was introduced to my co-founder, Petra Nemkova, the supermodel and global philanthropist. And we began to talk about what would we be excited about creating? What did we think consumers would be excited about? And that led us to a very soul-searching and um, intense uh, reflection on, look, the world needs another beauty and wellness brand like a hole in the head. And we took that to heart. We get it. We also know that we all want great skincare and powerful supplements for ourselves, for the people we love. And so how do you kind of solve the conundrum that skincare products and supplement products are almost entirely packaged in single-use plastic. And I, as I began researching this, and Christina, to your question, I've had the great pleasure of being in the beauty industry, in the fashion industry, in the wellness industry, you know, for more than a couple of years now, and wanted to take that passion, some of the things I've learned, and apply it to a future that I get excited about, that I get excited about for my children, for our communities. And that is one with a very different approach, both to beauty and wellness. And we love clean beauty, right? And the fact that clean beauty has gone from niche to mainstream at lightning speed is fantastic. We also love this merging of beauty and wellness and the increased understanding that how your gut looks is pretty much how your face is going to look. And that is powerful. And so we wanted to create a brand that was, you know, beauty drenched with wellness. And so we put together this amazing group of advisors to help us navigate what are all complicated, important, and expert required areas, right? Supplements in and of itself. We have two amazing natural pharmacologists who have helped us 
create formulas that are clean and powerful and based on modern science and herbalist wisdom and kind of putting those things together. We have an amazing dermatologist and a beauty expert chemist who have helped us put together the skincare formulas. And then back to the question at hand, okay, sustainability. Isn't that a broad, charged, dynamic, really important word that means so many different things to whomever you talk to about it? And we decided to define it as zero waste. And that was the bar, period. I remember as part of this going to the main recycling center that serves the tri-state area. And coincidentally, one of my very first assignments many, many years ago, the Boston Consulting Group involved recycling and going to local recycling centers. And I remember then being quite disheartened by what I learned and what I saw because growing up, recycling sounded like a really wonderful, important part of the consumer you know, lifespan. And 30, fast forward 30 years, I was equally disheartened and disappointed. And the challenge is the economics don't work. So looking at that, we said, you know what, let's evaluate. Let's do the scientific research. I'm the daughter of a scientist. I love the data. I love the science. And found that for direct-to-consumer skincare and supplements, about 25% of the environmental impact is the product, right? The stuff you actually use and consume, and that's what you're wanting. About 5% is the shipping, which for some people is a surprise because you can see the trucks and you can sort of feel the exhaust. And, and so there's a visceral sense that that must be more, but it's really 5 to 6%, which leaves over 70% is the packaging. And if you think about skincare and supplements, the product's pretty small. Right. And as one of my children used to say when they were young, the packaging is ginormous. Hmm. Primaries, secondaries, cellophane, discs, stuffing, boxes. And that we looked at and we said, you know what, let's let's do something revolutionary. Let's own our packaging and share it with our customers. Because however well you waste, and it's not well right now, right? Less than seven percent of plastic gets recycled. However well you're waste, you're still wasting an asset that natural resources went into, that human capital and labor went into. You've used it for a brief period and discarded it. So I got really excited about figuring out how to do this. And that's where it started. And this is the first time I've been part of a mission-based commercial venture. And that's a gift. That's great, Stephanie. Thank you so much for explaining what has led you to this, this pursuit, this passion area, and the fact that you were defining sustainability as zero waste sets a really high bar. But we do know that in a recent study, nearly two-thirds of consumers across six international markets believe that they have a responsibility to purchase products that are good for the environment and good for society. 82% in emerging markets and 42% in developing markets. So every year, a growing number of consumers are considering values beyond price and beyond taste in their purchasing decisions, such as safety, social impact, transparency. And I love this idea that your line of Ace of Air products is beauty, 
drenched in wellness. I thought that was a beautiful way of positioning it. So how did this trend of having consumers really consider their purchasing decisions beyond just price and taste to consider things like safety, social impact, and transparency, how did that impact how you began to envision the Ace of Air products? So you touch on all of the things that come together that consumers are looking for beyond just a product that works, right? So that that's the minimum bar. And then they're looking for, and, and we aspired from the start to become a certified B Corporation, which is one of the marks that I think consumers increasingly understand and look for because it incorporates all three of those components that you mentioned, Linda. And we became a certified B Corp in September. And that has been a fantastic roadmap for a new venture to kind of put in the guideposts to help us understand how we make real what we knew we wanted to be. So for us, it is about diversity and inclusion and opportunity, full stop. It is about finding all of the ways that we can to minimize our impact on the planet and to become a certified B Corp, we actually converted into a public benefit corporation. Before that, we were a C Corp, right? And so, which is the majority of businesses, meaning we are in the business of maximizing value for our shareholders. And that is the preponderant expectation right, for publicly traded businesses, private businesses, and in becoming a public benefit corporation, which we did with the amazing support of our investors, we now have three people at the table in equal measure, our investors, our planet, and the constituents that are impacted by our relationship with the planet. And what that does is actually formalize and make it possible for us to make decisions like converting converting entirely to solar energy, right? That's an upfront investment. It pays out over time. You know, who that serves most at any given point, up for a conversation, but in the end serves all. And that's been, so I think to your point, the, the B Corp is a fantastic guidepost you need to put in place and hire people who believe in the same things. And what has been an absolute delight and win in this is you're able to attract people who are passionate about the same things, the planet, the beauty and wellness. And that means you come into your work, which by the way, we all do much of the time with that extra you know, spring in your step and that extra energy and that extra creativity to, to co-create. So it has these very tangible benefits and then it has these non-quantifiable, but actually even more important benefits. If you're a manufacturing company and you're evaluating, Stephanie, your current sustainability practices, or you're a startup and you're considering adopting a higher standard for sustainability or really looking at your sustainability initiatives, 
where do company executives, what advice can you give them on where to start and how can they consider whether a product or a service has a net positive impact on the well-being of the company's key stakeholders, even if currently the planet isn't one of them? Great question. So two thoughts on that. Yeah. One is, and when we have talked to development partners and suppliers, the the feedback from one of our key development partners in the packaging world, right? So the packaging world, this is a very, this is tricky, right? If you're kind of have a business built around packaging as it is of today, this is a threat. And so you have to find those partners. And for example, the quote from ours was, this is the future. We want to be part of the future. It's a choice. And others, oop, I don't know, right? Not sure this is what we want to be part of. So that's that's very real. People are being rational. And the second answer would be, look at what Tesla has done to the auto industry. And it has taken years for the incumbent manufacturers to be jolted sufficiently to begin the process of turning over some of their manufacturing to electric. And the the challenge is it's hard, it's expensive. And if you already have a, um, if you have a cost structure in place, it's really hard, right? And it often takes an outside catalyst to change your view on what might be possible. Just like what COVID has done in terms of what wasn't possible last February suddenly got done in a lot of circumstances in four weeks because it suddenly had to be done. So for incumbent um, brands, particularly in beauty, right? Your packaging matters. People, this is a special category. People want their beauty products to not only work and feel great, but make you feel great and look a certain way and bring a certain esprit into your life. And if you've spent months, months, years, decades investing in that packaging, wait a minute, wait, now I, I'm supposed to change it? That's tricky. I will say, though, the consumers are asking for more than the brands are today able to deliver. And that's what creates the opportunity for disruption for new brands. And ideally, what Petra and I hope for Ace of Air is, yes, a successful, commercially viable, great for the planet business, but we really want to catalyze an industry and show a different way that the consumer gets really, really excited about. Because at the end of the day, it's the consumer that makes these things happen. And that's what's exciting. And we've done focus groups and quantitative research. And one of the happiest days of, I don't know, two springs ago was when we got the quantitative research and we had one write-in from thousands of people. And the number of people when hearing about Ace of Air that said, I'm so excited to partner with a brand to do this. And that idea of partnership and that idea of being part of a community and something bigger and doing it together is one of the most powerful human emotions that a brand can, you know, be part of. I agree. And Stephanie, that was so right on when you said you're tapping into a trend where consumers are demanding more of their products, especially their health and wellness and beauty products. 
In fact, Nielsen just surveyed 30,000 people in 60 countries around the world and showed that consumers are increasingly willing to purchase sustainable products around the globe. In fact, two-thirds of respondents said that they would happily pay more for sustainable goods. And for millennials, that figure is even higher. Nearly three out of four millennials are willing to pay almost 25% more if that product or service is truly sustainable. So how should companies gauge their consumer perceptions of brands and how that translates to pricing strategy for their own products and services? So I think for that target customer, particularly the the millennials, and and the great thing about beauty is it's multi-generational, right? So one generation influences the other, the younger generation influences the older, so it tends to cycle up and down. I'll just tell a story in, in, in my building in New York, I was on the elevator uh, pretty late at night coming back from work and um, another woman got on the elevator and I'm guessing she was in her early thirties and she had an LV Neverfull tote and Rothy's on her shoes, on her feet and had just gotten her packages from the front desk. And on top of her packages was a rent the runway garment bag And so this was someone who is engaged in beauty and fashion and clearly wanting to be part of um, the new options, right? Rothy's, Allbirds, Rent the Runway is a great way um, into sustainability. We don't have to own everything we wear. And the next morning, I happened to be on the elevator again with her in rush hour with all the kids headed for school and noticed different pair of Rothy's. Same LV, never full tote. I'm pretty sure the rent the runway dress had come out of the garment bag and was on her and she was returning the garment bag to the front desk as she left. So this idea of people being willing to be in different relationships with brands is part of what you're talking about. I'm, I'm willing, cost is one thing. I think convenience is another way of thinking about cost because the most convenient package in the world is plastic. That is the depressing hard truth, right? It's light, it's durable, it's dirt cheap, it's very efficient in manufacturing operations, it moves fill lines like nobody's business. But outside of that definition of efficiency, right, which is basically from the Industrial Revolution, it's an F. Everywhere else it's an F. So this idea of convenience related to costs is one of the things we've spent a lot of time talking about, because how do you change consumer behavior? It's very convenient to use up your product and chuck it in the garbage, right? That is, and it's, and it's a habit. However, if you look at Tesla as an example, when that first sports coupe came out, it was not terribly convenient, right? The battery life was short. The charging required went long, there weren't that many chargers, and the number of people I knew who were neither environmentalists nor car people who could not stop talking about where they were on the Tesla wait list was the power of bringing something that people get excited about and want to talk about and be part of. And I think that, to your point, Linda, about being willing to pay more, perhaps it's not dollars and cents. Perhaps it is actually more around, you know what, I'm willing to slow something down, or I'm willing to take a little more effort on this or return my rent the runway rather than put it in the closet. 
if that makes sense. It makes total sense. But in that same vein, Stephanie, and you know, even if it's not if in beauty or not in beauty, how can a company begin to determine when they're focusing on sustainability, but which areas to focus on that are right for them based upon the products and services that they manufacture, create, or sell? So how can they begin to really determine what their areas of focus need to be and should be to be able to create that strategy? In my experience with bigger companies, the most powerful way to approach that is with your employees. They know where things can be done differently, better. They have a very good understanding of, you know what, this is where we can create value. They have a sense of what their customers care about, whether it's B2B or B2C. But those people inside the organization, and I've seen it um, across several organizations that I've been part of, you tap into that energy and knowledge and put it against this goal, you get a tremendous return in terms of ideas and ways to execute differently. And yes, you can hire outside consultants and auditors to, you know, to actually evaluate and see what your carbon footprint is. And there are lots of quantitative work that is useful But, you know, Walmart was one of the very early um, adopters and drivers of how do we do this more sustainably? And they looked through their whole supply chain. And that was when I was at Revlon and they talked to their suppliers. And it was a really focused conversation around, you know what, we need less of this and less of that. And you need to pare back here. And this is the reason. And it is those people in the work that know how to change it. And a very small example of that is when we get our primaries shipped, we've had a lot of conversations with our manufacturing partner who says, you know, these primaries are really amazing. And we would normally put them in corrugate with dividers, each individually plastic wrapped, which of course, deep breath, it's like, and, and they're doing it because they, they want to protect what they've manufactured. And we've had to go back and forth and back and forth. And so we've now gotten to a place where, no, there's no plastic wrap. That's not happening. There may be a fully recycled paper wrap. That may be our compromise position. But it's, it's doing, you have to do it at that level of detail. Otherwise, it, it doesn't actually take, which means you have to do it with the people making those decisions at that level of detail. And one of the things we talked about at the very beginning of the hour is that executives are often reluctant to place sustainability uh, at the core of their company's business strategy because they believe that the costs actually outweigh the benefits. So let's talk about that for a second. What are the, the really concrete areas of business value that you've seen from your sustainability efforts, Stephanie? And what do you think that companies can do Uh, to integrate those benefits that they will receive from sustainability into their companies? How do they know they're doing a good job with their sustainability initiatives? Well, one of the things that has happened over the last very few years is some of the external evaluators of company performance, particularly public company performance, have added an environmental scorecard. And yes, you do look, 
businesses are driven to provide value to their customers, to their employees, and to their shareholders. And in the main, that is absolutely how executives wake up and operate and look to do that. The environment focus is fairly new. And there's always an adoption period where, you know, you've got to figure out how do you get that message so that it can be heard. And that's going to come in various forms. So this external core card is one. If you look at what, you know, Larry Fink is doing on ESG very vocally, relentlessly, and effectively, that is beginning to bear fruit. So that's one area. But I think you also need to look at, so where is your growth, you know, coming from or, or conversely, what kinds of businesses are beginning to attract your customers and why? And I think there are a lot of examples for where companies that are fully adopting sustainability in its true form, not in its greenwashing form, but in its true form, are they taking your customers? that tends to be a great motivator. And that means you've got to actually sort of really focus on what's happening and probably go down a few layers because a lot of these businesses are pretty small right now, but they're growing fast to your point. This is what the consumer is looking for. So that, that tends to be a, a great, um, you know, wake up call motivator for executives and people who look, they, they, want to do the right thing. Sometimes you have to get that little extra impetus um, to get the ball rolling. It's the starting that's hard. Yeah, that makes sense. So Stephanie, you have such an amazing pedigree of leadership and just experience from all different kinds of amazing industries throughout your career. And what is the best leadership advice that you've ever received that you'd share with our listeners today and uh, that you can leave with them that they can take forward? I think it's, it's two pieces. One is do your job really, really well. Your career will take care of itself. And, you know, there are different camps on that right? There are those who say, no, no, you got to manage your career and you got to do this and you got to do that. And that has not been my approach. Um, And I've had a really interesting set of jobs so far that I guess in reflection look like a career. Um, But that was really good advice that I got early on. And then the other piece as someone who has had the great good fortune of, you know, being a mom while doing all of these things. I think work-life balance is just an an unusually unattractive objective. And I think it's another thing that at least for myself, you got to measure yourself and realize, well, today it's really out of balance. So I guess I'm doing something wrong again. And for me, it's it's work-life blend and it has always been work-life blend. And that is, you know, it's sort of like a melting hot fudge sundae. It's messy, and but it's far more um, rewarding and it doesn't put you in the sort of straight jacket of, okay, at any given moment, everything's supposed to be kind of perfect, which 
um, I think actually gets in the way of both doing what it is you feel you need to be doing at a given moment, as well as sort of takes some of the joy out of it. So those are, those are two areas. And I have had great mentors who, uh, I guess the third piece is work for people who challenge you and, you know, bring the best out in you and, and probably frustrate you from time to time. But if they're willing to show up and hang with you and continue to help you learn and grow, then you know what, you're really lucky to be working for or with that person. Work for the people who make you bring your A game. That's beautiful advice and so relevant. I, I We're so grateful. So thank you so much, Stephanie, for being on our podcast today, for sharing your wisdom, for telling us your story. It's both inspirational and just um, really meaningful. I think our listeners are going to get so much from this conversation. So thank you for your time. And thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. We are grateful. Thank you, Linda and Christina. I'm delighted to be part of Leadership Global. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power, and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.